Will you join me in welcoming uh, Church Home, uh, based in Seattle, LA, and now around the world? Church Home, we live from Miami. And we here with your relatives from Miami, Boo Church. I love you, Church Home. Thank you for watching. We're, this is part three now of a series that we're doing. Why is Christianity so difficult? Or another title could be uh, why your Christianity is too difficult. We are making it so much harder on ourselves than we need to. Now, I'll make a couple of opening statements that I think um, don't need to be emphasized too much because we are all well aware that we find ourselves right now as we speak quite literally in unprecedented days. These are unheard of days. We've only watched movies that come close to the days we live in. In fact, those movies have become popularized if you've noticed what's trending because we're all like, is this happening? Like, is it? And and I don't mean to make light of this because I have friends in the hospital. I have had loved ones pass. But I got to be honest with you, when somebody told me the Delta variant, I thought it was a new plane in the Delta fleet. I'm not even joking. And I was like, man, Deltas need some new planes, you know. And then they were like, dude, relax. It's actually a new variant variable of COVID. And I'm like, oh, dear God, have mercy. And so lest you think I know what to do or pastors rich in DC know everything to do, um, please don't be deceived. We're all in this together and we've never been this far before, right? Two, two things we've never done before, but we're doing it together at the same time, trying to live and we're dying. I've never died before, but I'm dying with you. I am, I'm dying with you now, because I'm past 18, so I'm definitely dying, okay? I'm doing stuff to fake you out, make you think I'm not dying, but I'm dying, okay? It got more makeup on than you could possibly imagine right now to make you feel like I'm not dying. But we're all dying together, and we've never done it before. We're all trying to live together, and we've never done it before. We all have the capabilities and technological possibilities in the palm of our hand we've never had had before. We have omniscience in our hands and we're playing God and it's not going well at all. You could be in a grocery store getting some elementary breakfast cereal only to hear about 14 tragedies in 14 different countries and you are expected to process those and post on your social media appropriately. Ladies and gentlemen, That is ridiculous. And we cannot, we are not capable of doing this. So I don't know what to do with that. I'm just putting it out there and I'm letting you know that teenagers today are my heroes. I'm raising them. I have a 17, 14 and a 12 year old and I tell them perpetually, you're my heroes because I cannot imagine going through puberty and also having omniscience in the palm of my hand. I literally can't imagine the temptation, the urges, the comparison, et cetera, et cetera. These are unprecedented days. I suppose, if nothing else, Vu Church, Church Home, you ought to give yourself a little more credit. You're probably doing pretty stinking good considering. Like you're here wanting to learn more about Jesus, whether you believe in Jesus or not. The fact that you're watching this broadcast or you're here in this auditorium in Miami tells me that you're probably doing better than you think you're doing. This is hard. 
You hear me? This is hard and this is not easy. Now, to make matters worse, we have taken our belief system, we have taken our faith, and whether knowingly or unknowingly, we have turned it into something that it is not entirely. We have complicated things. Like I said, there's been a collusion with our environment and our surroundings. Don't be shocked by that. Each successive generation has the same temptation we have to make the customs, the perspectives of our respective nation, culture, nationalism, education, heritage, all of these things. We superimpose it, project it on scripture, and we turn it into something that oftentimes it is not. In a moment, we're going to go to John chapter 15. Now, John chapter 15 is a very famous passage by Jesus, and it's here that he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, what a lot of people believe is that the metaphor for God and us should be like, I'm the coach and you're the players, because that seems to be more consistent with the popularized theology right now, which is God is the consummate football coach yelling and screaming at you to do better, try harder, and go faster, and those who do get in the game and get to be used by God. Those who do not are shamed, sit on the bench, and we wait until they work harder and do better to get involved. And that is nothing of what Christianity is. Christianity is not a do good, get good. It's not a transaction or exchange. It is a love story and a relationship and a romance full of mystery. And that which we cannot comprehend or understand. But today, I want to divulge in what is part three now into this study of John chapter 15. Now, all we have been doing with the few moments we have in each successive gathering is we're trying to wade deeper and deeper and deeper into John chapter 15. We talked about no additives. We talked about the organic nature of our relationship. We talked about how stress and striving are symptoms of separating God from any particular category and space in our life. Now I want to talk to you about how to make Jesus your home. And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons that your Christian faith, or if you're here today or watching and you're considering putting your faith in Jesus, this is a wonderful collection of talks that will help you help you not start your relationship with Jesus like a relationship with a football coach. He's not that he is a father. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So you go with me to John chapter 15 and we'll start. In verse one, and I want to read this to you. He says, I am the vine. I am a true sprouting vine. Oh, this is this is the passion. This is good. I like this. And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I've spoken over you, you have already, have already cleansed you. So you must uh, remain in life union with me for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me. I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. I wanna say something, you've heard it before, bear with me, I've said it in the other parts to this series, but I'm going to say it again. I've never walked past a vine and heard, what's the vine doing? It's trying to do better, pump out more grapes. No, the vine just be, it bees the vine. 
Guess what vines do? In their season, they make grapes. Guess what you do? In your season, you bear fruit. Stop striving and stressing. Stop striving and stressing. I'll make this one note. This is not in my notes like I have notes, but let's just say, let's say in theory I did. The Old Testament priests were specifically told to wear specific garments when serving before the Lord for the children of Israel. I don't have time to contextualize this and understand and and help you understand how God built a country and a nation to demonstrate his love, his provision, his goodness, and who he is and what he does. But that's what he did through Israel. And he still demonstrates his providence and protection supernaturally by this little sliver of land called Israel. It's still happening today. And now all those who believe are grafted into spiritual Israel, and now we too can be grafted into the family of God. But early on in the makings of of the nation of Israel, the priests were to serve before God, and they only were allowed to wear linen. God gave them a commandment to wear linen, which is to say when they ministered before the Lord, as they sweat, the linen was to remove the sweat from their body. Because when it comes to your relationship with God, yes, it can be challenging and difficult, but you are never, please hear me, you are never to be stressed and striving. Now, there is a good work to be done with the Lord, but we are never to be sweating from stress. Now, I'm about to sweat from some good work, but there's no stress. I'm giving you legal biblical right to resist stress and say, you, you, I don't have to be, I can live, I, I don't have to be stressed. Now there's going to be days that you be stressed, but I want you to see stress for what it is. It's an intruder when it comes to your relationship with God. Some of you are trying so hard and that's the problem. It's really the problem. Instead of trying, you need to be. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more. I'm the sprouting vine, you're my branches. If you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But you, when you live separated from me, you're powerless. If a person is separated from me, he's discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown in the fire to be burned. It should be noted that is not about seeking people who want to find Jesus. That literally, this scripture, the Bible says, the branches that are in me that do not bear fruit, the Father will cut them back. The Father will cut them off, which is to say, those who put their faith in Jesus and then try to be their own Jesus, there will be nothing fruitful from your life, for there is one Jesus and you can be in him and trust him and rely on him and you cannot and will not save yourself. You hearing me? So we can, and we can go more about that. We talked about that last part. Whatever you desire will be done when your lives bear abundant fruit. I don't know if we have this in the message, guys, if we can do five, six, and seven in the message in John chapter 15. I don't know if we I'm in love with the passion translation, the message. I'll say this about scripture. Um, fall in love with multiple translations. Because you need them to understand the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew, okay? A lot of the English uh, words fail in the complexities of the original languages. And so you need to actually fall in love with a bunch of different translations. Here we go. Um, If we could jump to verse 6, guys, if that's okay. By being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separate, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead with, gathered and thrown up on the fire, bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, but if you make yourselves at home with me, but if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask, listen, acted upon. The next sermon I'm going to do at the 7 p.m. is I'm going to, I'm, we're talking about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. Your prayer life is complicating your Christianity and you need to stop. 
Some of you are more proud of your prayers than you are about the person of Jesus. And it's too much. We've turned prayer into a popular practice to impress each other. And it's actually getting quite out of control. And we're going to talk about that. So if you want to show up for the 7 p.m. and change your prayer life, you could do that. Okay. So he says, if you make yourself at home with me, my words are at home in you. So, so the title of my message is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'll be honest. I'm... I'm, I'm not good with the starting and the stopping. And here's what I mean. I was really in a celebratory state as we began to move into vaccination season and we started to find some progress. I got to be honest with you. I thought we were kind of out of the woods. I thought collectively, internationally, we were going to kind of move forward. And I thought, man, we're doing it. This is exciting. By the way, I got vaccinated. I didn't know I would divide our entire church. I didn't know hundreds of people would leave our church because I got vaccinated. I didn't know. I also felt like, well, I guess I won't tell them I got vaccinated as a kid either. I mean, that might send more people away from our church. Like, I didn't know, right? I didn't know this had gotten where it was. I've had church members, church home, I love you. I've had church members confront me for wearing a mask. I've had church church home members confront me for not wearing a mask. Um, I've had church home uh, uh, members confront me for having church. I've had church home members confront me for not having church. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't know what to do. So looking at a vaccinated guy, one Christian told me you have two years to live. (laughs) And you now have the mark of the beast. Right. And I'm, and I'm like, guys, I, I think we need to collectively calm down. I, this is too much. Okay. And if you understand the book of revelation, you're the first person I've ever met who understands it. Okay. And if any preacher tells you they understand the book of revelation, run screaming the other direction and find a new preacher. I'm so serious. There are much mysteries in scripture that we're like, eh, this is the seven headed dragon. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it is. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Here we are. And I thought we were there. You know what I'm talking about? I thought we were there. I thought we were just coming out of the woods. I thought we were there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here we go again. And it's like increase of numbers, increase. And my heart is breaking. Like I said, I have family members and loved ones who are currently trying to get more oxygen into their body so they can get dismissed from hospitals seeing friends pass on into eternity, these are unusual, unprecedented, difficult, painful days full of anguish. Are we there yet? How much longer are you going to spend your life like this? Are we there? Where is there? Where is there? Aren't we fickle creatures? We always talk about there. We're obsessed with there. Wherever there is, whenever there comes, whatever there is about. You think about how many theirs are in the room right now. Think about all the theirs. It's 150 grand a year and I'm there, right? It's an athletic scholarship and I'm there. It's a hot spouse and I'm there. Hopefully you're not married praying for a hot spouse. You know, like, um, think of all the theirs. You know, it's crazy. I'm, I've passed a bunch of theirs now at 42. I remember thinking to myself, someday I'm going to preach at, at places like this or that. And then you get there and you're like, man, this is a lot of work. This is a challenge. 
okay, this is awesome. This is a blessing. Wait a minute. I dreamed of these days. Are we there yet? We've made Christianity so difficult sometimes. Because of our surroundings, I'm very proud of our country, but one of the distinguishing characteristics of the United States of America is we are a country of achievement. Just let one of these Olympians not win gold and we're like, oh. Mm. I asked a bunch of Americans in LA, I was like, what does winning the Olympics mean? Uh, the gold medals. Every single American I've asked about the Olympics, their determination of whether or not we win is if we get the most golds. I was like, can we just go with like metal total? They're like, no, what if it's all bronze? Like we're into gold. Think about all, this, all, the, like, all the companies that want to sponsor people. We, we go for gold in this country. Gold. You get silver. It's like, can you imagine if our basketball team's got silver? They have a few times and we're like. <laughs> Caption for the U.S. women's soccer team. And these ladies are incredible. And they got bronze. This is it. Where do we go from here? <laughs> Women's soccer in America. I don't know if you know this. There's countries who are just praying to win medals. One medal, two medals. And we're like, how many golds? I got a friend in the Olympics. Did he win gold? Did she win gold? I, I, they made the team. Oh, that's cool. Now, if we're honest, that achievement-based mentality wiggles its way into the teachings of Jesus. And we transfigure the teachings of Jesus into success coaching, life coaching, achievement coaching. And what we want from our preachers is for our preachers to tell us how can we can do more, get more, and do big things via Jesus. Because Jesus is our life coach. So tell me, preacher, how do I have a better marriage? There's nothing wrong with that. I think I could help you. I've been married 21 years. I could tell you a couple things not to do for sure. Like throw your wife's Kindle during your 20th wedding anniversary and shatter it against the wall. She probably won't talk to you most of the night. I did that. In case you're wondering, you're like, where was that coming from? <laughs> this guy. Broke more tennis rackets than I can count. Broke more golf clubs than I can count. And now I must admit, I must add one, well, slightly expensive Kendall to the mix. Chelsea's like, do you know how much that costs? And I'm like, how much? She's like, hundreds of dollars. Uh, I gave her my Kendall because I never read it anyways. So, Is that, is that what this is? It's just behavior modification? Just how to do better? I mean, honestly, can I encourage you? There's so many better venues for you to go for that. Tony Robbins is way better than me at that. I'm so serious. Like, there's way better life coaches. Don't come to me. At least don't come to me for life coaching. I am no life coach. I am a teller of the story of Jesus. That's what I do. But the story of Jesus was never meant to fit in the life coach, life improvement category. It doesn't fit there, and it only frustrates there. Right, so when it comes to why am I so tired? 
Why am I so exhausted? Am I the only one that I've grown up in church? I've been in more church services than you've been to Starbucks. Am I the only one that would go home to church, from church all the time, thinking to myself, man, I need to do more for God. I got to read more of my Bible, man. I got to pray more. Man, I got I to get more involved. If I don't volunteer, I know God ain't going to bless me. Man, I have to stop being a midnight pervert on the internet. I just got to stop. If I stop that, then God would. <laughs> and we pretend like um, God's like us. We pretend God sucks air. Let me tell you something about it. If God sucked air every time you messed up, you wouldn't have anything to breathe. Do you know what I mean by that? If God was like, we'd be like. The fact that you're still breathing proves he's gracious. Proves that the rules are different for him. Proves that he is merciful and long-suffering and that he, he because by the way, he knows what you're going to do in 2027. 2027, I believe, is going to be a great year for you, but you're going to do some dumb stuff. I could tell you that right now. He's already there. He's already made provision. He's already forgiven you. He's already covered it. He already loves you. Are we there yet? Where is there? Are we home yet? Jesus says, make your home in me. I want to remind you, Vu Church. I want to remind you, church home, this is not your home. Home cannot be merely defined by where you sleep. Home cannot be merely defined by where you work. Home cannot be merely defined by where you collect stuff. We are obsessed with function. Function is one of the fourfold purpose of man, but it's an order of importance. The fourfold function of man is relationship, character, function, reproduction. Almost all theologians agree from the Genesis account that seems to be why we're here. We are here absolutely and outstanding, no question number one, to connect. Relationship. Then to look like Jesus and love like Jesus, which is character, and then function. But function is our obsession. It is how we determine who is elite and valuable and important and of reputation. What do they, what do you do? That's our question. And I said this in the last service, but because we're so obsessed with what we do, we're obsessed with what God does and we forgot to be obsessed with who he is. So because we are obsessed with God's function, we're obsessed with our function. God wants us to be obsessed with who he is so that we focus on who we are in response to who he is. Jesus says these really simple words. He says, make your home in me. Make your home in me. Now, if that was easy, everybody would be doing it. But I have never met so many discontented, agitated, anxious, frustrated Christians in all of my life. Where is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost? For the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, which produces two overwhelming emotions, peace and joy in the spirit of Jesus. Two-thirds of the kingdom of God is an emotional state. Where is that emotional stability? Where is the peace and joy amongst the Christians? We're so worked up about our political persuasion. 
We're so bent out of shape, so angry and frustrated. What happened to our peace and joy? What happened to our revelation of the sovereignty of God who sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies? The earth is like his autumn and he kicks up his feet and he laughs at those who oppose him. What happened to our God who is not moved? I want you to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not worried about a thing right now. Not a thing. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus says, make your home in me. Make your home in me. Make your home in me. So in other words, home is not where you sleep, where you eat, where you work, or where you collect stuff. Some of you hoarders. It, God loves you still. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Just do a little summer cleaning, but he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He, um, it's him. He's home. You know, the Bible admonishes us in the New Testament. Don't, don't think that this is home. If you think that this is home, you will be frustrated. This place will not fulfill you. This place will not satisfy you. It'll never be enough. It'll always bring you frustration, agitation, disillusionment when you make this your home, when you make this your priority, when you make this your focus, when you make this the point of your existence, when you make stuff and things and renown and reputation and what people say and what people think about you. If you do that and if you fall for that, you will be frustrated. And so we got Christians running around all bent out of shape with no righteousness, peace and joy. And we wonder I want to make Jesus my home. So this is what we do, and we mean well. But in sermons like this, you look at a preacher like me, and you say to yourself, now, preacher, tell us how to do it. Tell us how to do it. In the next sermon about prayer, good. I want to to know how to pray. And what you really want, oh, Jesus, help me. I'm going to try to say this real nice. What you really want is what makes your flesh feel good. And what makes your flesh feel good is a code to punch in the vending machine of heaven to get what you want. Y'all remember those vending machines, E6? You're like, man, I can't, man, what a Reese's peanut butter cup. E, E6. You see E6? Oh, there it is, E6. Hey! I want my peanut butter cups. <laughs> and then you're going to push that thing and then it falls out, right? Talking about 1991, somebody, okay? E6 for life. But that's what we want. You know what sermon would go so well online for me if I told you the three secrets to true influence with God? You'd all be like, tell me what it is. Three steps to marrying way out of your league. (laughs) This is better. Four steps to steamy married sex. I might do that sermon. But anyways, (laughs) like, tell me the numbers. I'll punch them in. Get what I want. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? But in the process, lose his own soul. Soul is hollow and empty. Boy, you got all the toys, don't you? And you even put the bumper sticker on your car that said, he who wins, he who has the most toys when they die wins. Yeah, yeah. 
profound depth of revelation. Nah. So what are we going to do? What's the plan? I want to show you, not in my opinion, but I want to show you from John 15, scripture interprets scripture, how to abide is the other word. How to make Jesus your home. Here's how you do it. Now, I want to say this. You always know the gospel is preached when your flesh says while the preaching is happening, there has to be more than this. See, good Jesus preaching and Bible teaching always leaves your flesh going, I want to do something. What do I do? Oh, and by the way, if this sermon is just about what Jesus does and how much he loves me, then how will I impress people? Because what I want to say is, I've been married for 21 years. I'm a man of God. I haven't slept with anyone I'm not married to. I have three kids. I'm a man of God. And I have done things right, and that is why God has blessed me. And everyone's like, oh, that is so good. Tell, tell us what you did again. Okay, wow, wow, wow. Wow, that's amazing. And then you do what I told you to do, and it doesn't work. And you're like, I need to find another preacher to give me the code, get what I want from this vending machine called God. I don't have the numbers. I don't have the code. I don't believe in that. This is relationship. I dare you to treat a relationship like an actual physical relationship in this room the way you treat your faith in Jesus. I dare you to go out to lunch the way you talk to God with somebody. Hello? (laughs) My dear, dear friend. It is an honor to be here with you. I mean... It's like, hey, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> I am talking to God. <laughs> right, we, we've lost the nature of relationship. And by the way, we're all susceptible to this, so there's no, no, no shade, no shame. We're, we're in this together. Let's learn together. He says, um, uh, 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 make your home in me. And then he goes on and he says, my, my words need to be at home in you. And so let me give you three ways to abide. They're not complicated. They're all there. Um, we, 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 first of all, have to um, recall his words. We'll talk about this in a moment. Recall his words, what he said, what he said, what he said. In a moment, I'm going to teach you the way Jesus taught his disciples post-resurrection how to read their Bible. The problem is some of you are reading your Bible wrong. I'm dead serious. You're just reading your Bible wrong. And by the way, the Bible, it, 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 you're, not, you're not reading it right, and so it's, it's misleading you and misguiding you because you don't understand how to read it. There was a way Jesus taught us to read post-resurrection, and we still don't talk about it. And I don't know why we don't talk about it, but there's a way, and I'm going to show it to you. And by doing that, you'll be able to abide in him. You'll be able to abide in him. So it's, 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 it's abiding in his word. And then if we could put uh, John chapter 15 up there, but if you make yourself at home with me, my words are at home, and you can be sure that whatever you ask, you'll be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who when you produce grapes, you'll mature as my disciples. He goes on. And he says, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourself at home in my love if you keep my commandments. Okay, so now you, you notice and it's like, oh, wait, there's, there's more home language. 
So we, it's like, make your home with me. And then he says, my word should be at home with you. And then he says, make yourself at home in my love. So his words is how you make, it's his, it's his love. And I'll talk about how his words speak about his love. So point number one, which is really, really important. This is good theology. If you want Jesus to be your home and not stuff be your home and not reputation be your home and not a big palatial, multiple, amazing thousand square foot home be your home, but you want Jesus to be your home, which by the way, is gonna be a key ingredient to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is you make Jesus your home, is you've got to focus and soak and saturate in his love for you. Biggest misnomer right now in Christendom, in my opinion, and who am I to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. It's that we focus on more on how we love God than how he loves us. And that's why things have gotten complicated. In fact, sermons preached about how we love God are way more popular right now than sermons preached about how God loves you. Did you know that? I can prove it to you in this country. Sermons where preachers preach on how you should love God more, you know why? Because our flesh goes, that's true. I'm gonna do more. And then you look at other people who aren't trying and you're like, they're not even trying. And I'm dedicated. And you know, God doesn't like that. God's not into that. But you know what I do? I've been to every service today at Boo. I've been volunteering all day. You know why? Because I'm abiding in his love. (laughs) That's how I abide in his love. Now, abiding in his love starts where? Take it all in. Take what in? His love. The dimensions of his love for you. I think where the church is headed for good sound theology and to make a difference in culture, we're going to have to preach more sermons about how he loves us and sing more songs about how he loves us. But I dare you to take inventory of how many sermons and songs that we participate in who have to do with us loving him. It's shocking. Are you the only one that like, I surrender all. And you think, Man, I'm so noble. I surrender all. And it's one of my favorite songs. All to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender. Run to the altar, church. I surrender all. And I'm down for that. But that is supposed to only ever be a response to how much he loves you. He loves us, oh how he loves us, oh how he loves us. And we're all like, I don't know about this song, man. It's all about how he, this seems pretty selfish. And that's what we've been doing for years. Well, if we talk about how much Jesus loves us, isn't that selfish? It's the exact opposite. Do you know what selfish is? It's focusing on yourself and your work and your doings and your righteousness and your efforts and your sacrifice. That's what feeds the body. What feeds the soul is how he loves me. So it's his work. It's also his friendship. His friendship is another way to make your home in him is to recall and revisit his friendship. 
There's a friendship you have. He says, you remain intimately at my home and my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands myself at home and his love. I've told these things for a purpose that my joy, 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 not my anxiety, fear, worry, my joy. Have we lost this joy because we've lost this teaching? He says, he says, this is the very best way. Put your life on the line. Oh, he says, I've told you these things for a purpose that my joy may be full and your joy will holy be mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. What's that sound like? Where have I heard that before? This is a prophetic statement. He hadn't even put his life on the line yet. He's trying to tell his disciples. He says, oh, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. Wouldn't that be the greatest sacrifice? And we all lean and go, yeah, it would be. And once again, he's pointing the neon arrow, not at you, but at himself. We think, we need to be, we need to lay down our life for each other. Hold on a second. What could Jesus be referencing? I'm going to lay down my life for you and you will know when I go to the cross. Please, please, please hear me. Please hear me. He's talking to real people and some of them will be at the foot of the cross. He's letting them know when he does that, he's doing it for friendship. You think it's just about judgment and justice and it is, but it's about friendship. It's about relationship. It's about connection. He wants friendship with you. I said he wants friendship with you. He wants camaraderie with you. He wants to move with you, walk with you, talk with you, live with you. He, he wants to feel with you. He wants to weep with you. He wants to laugh with you. He, he wants to be your friend. He says, I... I'm already calling you friends, which is wild because a moment ago, he said, you know what a real friend does? He lays down his life for his friends. And then he says, but I'm calling you friends, which is to say, I know you're going to do it. What is he talking about? We turn passages like this and do, and this is why we need to be a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I love Israel Houghton, by the way. That's one of my dearest friends, by the way. And that's an amazing song, but we focus on, I'm going to be a friend. No, he said, and by the way, I'm already, before you're my friend, I'm calling you my friend because I know the future. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm going to lay, I'm going to be the first fruit and I'm going to lay down my life so you know that we can be friends. focus on his words or speak of how much he loves us and then we look at his friendship and then he goes on he says I've named you friends because I've let you know everything I've heard from the father I promise you I'm almost done um, now you didn't you didn't you didn't you didn't choose me remember not really I was starting to believe I did choose you but you need to remember you didn't no no no, no see what I did in 1991, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Tell you what I did. You need to make that same decision, brother. Smoking or not, where will you be in eternity? Decide this day who you will serve. We have made so much of ourselves realize the pressure I really pulled these pants up a little high <laughs> it was uncomfortable 
you didn't, if you don't hear nothing else, they told me I could preach a little bit longer in the 5 p.m., so bear with me. If you don't hear nothing else, you didn't choose me. Remember? I forgot. I know. I know you did. I can tell you did. You thought you chose me. The pressure that must put you under. The stress you must feel. Is it you that garnered my attention, my affection, and my forgiveness? Was it you? Was it your performance? Was it your nobility? Was it the highlighted verses in your Bible? Is that what got my attention? No. I chose you. When did you choose me? Before the foundations of the world. What does that mean? I named you. I appointed you. I gifted you. And I decided where to insert you in linear time and space and what generation and what city and what country and what ethnicity and what background and what heritage. And, and, and I chose So I know you're my friend. You're going to bear fruit. Here's another way to make Jesus home. Remember, this was his idea. Hey, what do you want me to do? I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. Okay, okay. I hear you, son. I want you to remember something. What's that? I handpicked you. You did. Yeah. I get so excited when I think about how I made you. When I formed you in your mother's womb, I did it wonderfully. I did it fearfully. That word fearfully doesn't mean that God was scared when he made you. It it means God was in awe of what he was making in you. God stepped back and thought, wow, I've impressed myself again. Before you were born, God was wowed by you. Did you know that? I chose you. Remember? Oh, yeah. So this was all your idea. So you knew I had it in me for 2020 and 2021? I did. I matched you for the right time, for the right people, for the right place, for the right family. But my family's broken, God. I know son, I know daughter, and it breaks my heart. But I put in you the strength and the fortitude to not give up. So you think I can do it? need a little bit more. Okay, okay, okay. Luke chapter 24. This is how Jesus, post-resurrection, taught people to read the Bible. Are you ready for this? Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. Everything. All the things written 
about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled, which is to say Jesus. He says fulfilled because it still needs to be because at the cross for six hours, he would fulfill thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament. We got Christians defending the validity of the Old Testament as if we need the Old Testament to prove the historical reality of Jesus. I don't mean to disrupt your belief system, but you can argue about Genesis all you want. I know there was a man named Jesus. I know he lived, died, and rose again. All I know is that the Old Testament isn't about the Old Testament. Abraham isn't about Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Boaz, they're all in heaven going, would you guys stop making this about us? David's in heaven going, quit preaching sermons about me. Preach them about the desire of all nations. Preach them about the fulfillment of it all. For even David knew, I am but a shadow of the one to come. But when he comes, all mountains will bow before him and all rivers will flow to him for he is the lamb of the world the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world Jesus says he it went on to open their understanding of the word God showing them showing them comma showing them can you see this you got to see this Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter in the Psalms of he went on to understand next verse you can see how it's written that the Messiah suffers, rising from the dead on the third day. Yep, keep going. And then total life changes through forgiveness, sins, forgiveness, his name is starting from here. From Jerusalem, the first one. If the witness is what comes next, it's very important. Oh, I'm sending you, my father promised you, this is a great verse. I'm really hoping, I think this is a little bit different verse, but we have it back. Do we have it, guys? Keep going. I don't know if this is, if it's still coming up. I so want you to see it. I'm stalling because I'm believing it's going to happen. Anybody, anybody have a message Bible on them? I'm so serious. Let me see a message Bible. Who has a message Bible? Just give it to me. I read it to you. You have a message Bible? Okay, perfect. This is perfect. This is even better. This is proof because you didn't believe me that it was in the Bible. So now, black ink on paper. Here we go. Luke I mean, is it normal to be able to find passages like this that fast? No, I'm a professional minister. Please don't hold yourself to these standards. I find passages with my eyes closed. I think you get it. I'm so kidding. Okay, here it is. Here it is. You ready? You, you, you're not going to believe this. Everything I told you was when it comes to this, all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the law had to be fulfilled. He went on, verse 45 to open the understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. Showing them how to read their Bibles this way. What way? What way? So he went through the law and prophets, showed them how all things must be fulfilled about him. And then he showed them how to read their Bibles this way. What's the way he showed them how to read their Bibles? Oh, to look for Jesus. Your Bible only matters as you see Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We've made this about wisdom. We've made this about understanding. We've made this about morality. We've made this about punctuality. We've made this about all kinds. Hey, this is about a man. You know how to do where's Waldo. Now do where's Jesus. Right? He, he's in all the types and shadows of the Old Testament. 
And then as you go into the New Testament, we see his life and ministry. And then as the church begins, we see him in spirit form. And he begins to reveal himself in the doctrines and letters of the early church. And we see his character. We see his activity. We see who he is. Look for Jesus. I'm going to say this so bold. And Pastor Rich will correct it if he doesn't like it. Would you stop looking for principles? That's not how you're supposed to read your Bible. Would you quit looking for knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. Relationship is intimacy. This isn't a knowledge contest. This isn't who knows the most Proverbs. For Proverbs is about Jesus. I said this earlier, but Solomon is in heaven going, guys, I wrote Proverbs. I didn't have Jesus. I'm so serious. We read the Psalms. We're like, oh, the Psalms are my favorite. I love David. David's my guy. And David's like, why am I your guy? Stop making me your guy. I'm just a type of Jesus. It's about Jesus. Romance. Relationship. It's it's about about Jesus make your home in me my words at home what's his words show me Jesus my favorite prayer to pray when I come to this connection point there's many connections points this is a divine connection point when I open this book here's my prayer oh and by the way for me I don't read large portions of scripture because I get lost in the mix I'll read little bits of scripture and here's my prayer all the time it's where this series came from at 6am this morning I ask these questions show me Jesus spirit of God show me Jesus you know what the spirit of God's primary role is to reveal to you Jesus you think the spirit of God is trying to reveal your problems your shortcomings your sins and your weaknesses and you're looking for conviction you know what the Holy Spirit does primarily in the in the realm of conviction he convicts you of your righteousness do you know what your righteousness is it is imputed righteousness gifted to you through the finished performance of Jesus Christ on the cross he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus are we there yet where my career no god forbid you work your whole life for a career and get it and have leanness in your soul have we not read enough human history to know the man or woman with the most toys often is the most trouble many more days are you going to spend walking out your life of wisdom I'm a believer I practice integrity and character and honor the seven values of our home and listen I really appreciate your values but the only thing that holds water I don't want my babies just to have values. I don't need Jesus to live a valued, shaped life. Everybody wants to talk about character. I know people that don't know Jesus that are about character. It's life in the Bible. It's about. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm almost done. You guys are right here. Here we go. Here we go. 
Look at this. Look at this. I'm almost done. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I kept my father's commands. That you joy. This is my commandment. So he says, keep my commandments, plural. And then he says, this is my commandment, which by the way, he took the 10 and made it two. And, 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 and if you remember what the two was, and he, he calls it just one commandment. He says, he says, he says, he says, uh, 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 love one another as, as, as I have loved you. Verse 17, I'm done. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This was about love? The litmus test of our faith was love? I thought it was true. an indignation towards wickedness and people who vote wrong. Jesus says, you live well when you love well. But how can you love when you have spent very little time soaking in the love he has for you? See, 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 I know what's happening we can't love people different from us is because we haven't stilled ourselves long enough to realize, recognize the scandalous love for which God loves us. <laughs> he is so in love with you, man. He's so in love with you, man. He's so obsessed with always on his mind his thoughts are you for you are more numerous than the sand on the seashore we have a 7 p.m so i'm gonna stop and i've had so much caffeine today it's outrageous so poor church home is like i mean if it's been like an hour judah's probably just getting going okay so y'all pray for that church man deal with a long-winded preacher but I I'm so in love with you and and I think I think what I get excited about and the bands here they just came on stage so that we could end I don't know if you're like Judah they've been there for 57 minutes shut up I can see the light bulbs coming on are you weary are you burned out on religion come to me Jesus says and I'll show you how to take a real rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Are you ready to let go of all of the weariness? Are you ready to let go of all the comparison? Are you ready to let go of the obsession with self-performance and self-accolades and what you're doing and not doing? And let us focus on the love of all loves. Will you stand with me? Come on, Boo Church. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. His love is so true. His love is so pure. Come on, let's just take but a few moments and let's soak and let's saturate in the extraordinary, extensive, unconditional love of Jesus. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go.